Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional healthcare for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Hello, Forum family. This is Dr. Siebold out of Forum Health Utah, and I wanted to welcome you back to our uh, sleep podcast. This is the fourth and final uh, episode in which we'll be discussing sleep in depth. In the uh, first episodes, if you missed them, uh, we first talked about what sleep is, why we sleep, and the different stages of sleep. We even talked a little bit about sleep pressure and also about chronotypes. Uh, are you a morning lark, a night owl, or are you somewhere in between? Uh, we talked about the various hormones and neurotransmitters both involved in sleep. That was all episode number one. In episode number two, we talked about, again, a little more in depth, why we sleep, and also discussed some of the benefits of good sleep as well as the consequences of poor sleep. We talked about how much sleep we should be getting, and then we really went into an in-depth discussion about sleep hygiene, um, how we can really start to improve uh, that, that quality of sleep that we're getting every night. In episode three, we discussed various sleep disorders. We talked in depth about the six primary categories of, of sleep disorders, and, and then talked about, uh, to, to a lesser extent, about some of the different types of sleep disorders, how they might manifest, what are some of the hallmark symptoms and findings you might you might see. Um, and then today, our final episode, we're going to be talking about treatment of insomnia and other sleep-related disorders. So if you missed any of those first episodes, I encourage you to uh, to try to look back through and, and find those to, to catch yourself up and, and start to doing some of the things that you can to improve your sleep. So today we're going to talk about our approach to sleep disorders. Um, the nice thing in functional medicine is that we get to spend a lot of time with patients, right? We, you come in, typical first visits are going to be 60 to 90 minutes, depending on the clinic or the provider you're seeing. And follow-up visits are tend to be 30 to 60 minutes on average. You know, in your traditional practice setting, uh, th those appointment times are much shorter. And, and so it really inhibits our ability to sometimes really gather an in-depth history uh, and, and have a more in-depth discussion about what's what's going on and maybe um, triggering some of your sleep troubles. So the first thing we're going to do is go through an extensive history. Um, the reality is, is most sleep disorders can be diagnosed just by a simple, uh, and, and I shouldn't say just simple, but by a comprehensive sleep history. And that's going to include information about your sleep-related habits, like what time do you go to bed every night? What time do you wake up every day? How much do you wake up through the night? How long are you sleeping during the night? What is your sleep environment like? What, what type of daytime activities are you engaging in that may be detracting from your sleep or also maybe promoting and helping you to get better sleep? Um, what are some psychosocial stressors that could be impacting your sleep, right? Um, we'll also take a big in-depth look at current medications or supplements that you might be taking that can impact your sleep. Um, and then also, is there any abnormal behaviors that you're demonstrating during sleep? You know, important kind of collateral information as well is stuff that can be obtained from your, your partner who's in bed with you. Uh, they're, they're watching you and seeing things that you don't always see and know yourself while you're actually asleep, right? So a discussion with, uh, with a spouse or, or partner um, can certainly be very helpful as well. Um, and there's also uh, sleep questionnaires that can really uh, detail pertinent information 
uh, regarding sleep that can be helpful for us. So number one is history. History is always key. There's a lot of information we can glean from a good history uh, that can direct us how to proceed from there. After that, we'll consider some different uh, testing, right? So first we have tests in the form of questionnaires that we'll do in the office. There's two primary ones that I like to use. One is called an Epworth sleepiness scale, and that just helps provide some subjective uh, data, quantification of, of the severity of your sleepiness, right? Um, and, and, and so that's that's a test that we'll do here in the clinic. And these are these are also questionnaires that you can look up online and, and do yourself to look and see where you, where you test at, right? On the Epworth sleepiness scale, a score higher than 10 is consistent with needing more sleep. Uh, we also have uh, another one that I'll commonly do with people to help determine what their chronotype is. is called the morningness, eveningness questionnaire, the MEQ. Um, and this really helps to look at, are, are you someone who wants to go to sleep earlier in the evening or someone who prefers to sleep later in the evening? What's your circadian uh, rhythm like, your, your chronotype? Um, and that can be extremely helpful because when you're a, a night owl and you're trying to live in a morning lark world where it, where it is more important or more helpful to go to bed earlier and get up early to get into work, that's really going to impact your sleep quite a bit. And so learning to understand what your body's natural preference is it is very helpful and very key. Kind of further into diagnostic testing, uh, labs can be a very helpful thing for us, right? So a big part of sleep is kind of a combination of your neurotransmitters. These are like serotonin, GABA, dopamine, acetylcholine, and others. And then also hormones. Hormones have a big impact on our ability to sleep. And so we do more extensive uh testing profiles for both hormones and neurotransmitters that can help us identify if there's certain things that you may be lacking or certain hormones that may be triggering difficulty going to sleep at night, right? So, you know, a big one for a lot of people is cortisol. Um, cortisol is a, a hormone that our body produces kind of in a circadian pattern. So usually around 3 a.m. or, or, or uh, cortisol level should be at its lowest point, and then it starts to rise. And that rise helps to prepare us to wake up and to be able to to fight for the day, right? Uh, cortisol should peak about 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up in the morning. And, and then from there, it should slowly start to decline as the day progresses. For some people though, their cortisol rhythms don't follow that, that pattern like it should. And there are people who come the evening time, their cortisol level starts to go up uh, and they have a hard time shutting off their mind or unwinding to actually prepare to sleep. And so knowing, knowing that can be extremely helpful when we decide how to treat. Um, and, and we know that we need to maybe improve adrenal function and cortisol levels. Um, another big one in regards to hormones, especially for women, uh, has to do with menopause. Uh, as estrogen and progesterone levels start to fall, a lot of women really struggle with uh, menopausal type symptoms that really impair sleep. And this is like the, the hot flashes, the night sweats, the, the covers are on, the covers are off, the covers are on, they're off. It's just back and forth all night long. You just can't get comfortable to actually start to sleep. We see over and over again that when we start to replace some of those hormones and improve them to an appropriate level, uh, that women start to sleep dramatically better. Uh, sleep just, just gets so much better and, and, and energy levels start to improve and, and people do better. Um, there are some of these neurotransmitter profiles that can also be seen and found on shopformhealth.com. You can go and look for them yourself. Just look, the, look for the sleep well assessment. And that's a test you can order for yourself to, to get an idea of where your neurotransmitters are at. Also kind of into the testing, and, and these have more to do with sleep laboratory testing, right? So the big one that we are very commonly aware of is a sleep study or a polysomnograph. Um, this is the primary 
uh, way that we're going to um, diagnose obstructive sleep apnea, uh, as well as some other sleep disorders. There's a couple other sleep tests that are helpful to be done in a sleep lab, and that includes the multiple sleep latency test. And this measures your physiologic tendency to fall asleep when, when life around you is kind of quiet and dull. Um, and then there's also the maintenance of wakefulness test. And this measures your ability to stay awake in these quieter situations. So these are two, two more tests that can be done in a sleep lab that can be helpful, um, especially when looking at diagnosing things like narcolepsy um, and that, that excessive daytime sleepiness. So these are some of the primary tests we'll use. There's labs, there's questionnaires, and then there's sleep study tests. And we and we certainly do these things here. Sleep study tests we have to refer out for, but these are options of things that we can test for and try to help uh, diagnose. Uh, after that, we're going to look at uh, lifestyle. Um, lifestyle, when it, when it comes to good health and poor health, lifestyle really is the foundation. When our lifestyle is not what it should be, we start to see consequences creeping in. Uh, a lot of problem for a lot of people is that when we're younger, we're, we're pretty, our bodies are pretty resilient and we don't always notice or appreciate the effects of poor lifestyle on our health until we get a little bit older and hormones are not quite as, as optimal as they should be. Um, our bodies aren't quite as good at keeping up with the, with the, um, the poor lifestyle that we're living. And we start to see detrimental effects in our life, um, start to, to creep in. So, when it comes to health, and this is what I love about functional medicine, is that lifestyle is foundational, and we have the time in our visits to actually talk about it and to address it. Um, obviously, when it comes to sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene is really what what it's all about, right? And that's really the foundation of good sleep. So, um, you know, good sleep hygiene instruction is generally going to be helpful for most patients who come in to see us. Um, there, there's usually some component of their sleep. Uh, hygiene that can be improved, um, regardless of what the cause of their trouble sleeping is. So we, we went over pretty in depth about what good sleep hygiene is in episode uh, two, but I'll just briefly hear a few things for sleep hygiene. So number one is the sleep-wake schedule, right? Do you get up about the same time each day? Do you go to bed about the same time each day, including the weekends? Um, that can be very helpful. However, I'll throw a caveat in there that there are people, again, who are on that more of that delayed sleep phase schedule, the, the night owls, who, if they're living in a morning-like world where they have to go to bed earlier, although they don't usually, and they but they still have to get up early to get into work, those individuals tend to, to get, an, on average, about one to two hours per night uh, less sleep compared with their, their counterparts, the morning larks, right? And so the weekend actually could be a good time to catch up on that sleep and to to sleep in. And so, you know, ideal is that you're, you're living your lifestyle, you know, work schedule in uh, accordance with your, your sleep schedule, your desire to sleep at night. Um, but unfortunately there's, there's many people because of jobs and other requirements that you just don't have that luxury. And so the weekend can be a great time to catch up. Otherwise you certainly should be trying to, to go to bed and get up about the same time every day. Um, other things in regards to sleep hygiene. So one is uh, another one is a, or a category is stimulus control, right? So number one, do you go to bed uh, when you're still feeling awake and alert? You shouldn't do that. You should only go to bed when you're feeling sleepy. Uh, your bed is really for sleep and sex only. Um, you really should avoid doing work in bed, uh, reading in bed, watching television. Uh, these things tend to 
uh, create habits that when we should be getting into bed to fall asleep, our mind says, hey, let's turn on the show. Let's check the score of the game or let's, let's, let's read a few more pages of the book when we should be trying to go to sleep, right? The other big part with that stimulus control is if you do get into bed and, and within 20 minutes you don't fall asleep, get out of bed and go do something boring. Go clean. Go go read a book that doesn't overly stimulate you and, and make you wake up more. You know, keep the screens off. Go write in a journal. Um, those are great things to, to do at, at night if you're not uh, able to fall asleep quickly. Food and drink is the next category. We want to avoid heavy meals within a couple hours of trying to go to bed. But you also don't want to go to bed hungry. For some people, they, they find it beneficial to have a small snack, uh, something often containing tryptophan that can help you fall asleep at bedtime. You also want to try to avoid drinking too much fluid uh, close to bedtime because this is going to make you get up in the middle of the night to go pee. Uh, the problem with that is it disrupts your sleep, but also as you get older, you'll find that it's a lot harder uh, to fall back asleep when you have those nighttime awakenings. You want to avoid alcohol and don't use it as a sleep aid. We talked about previously that alcohol really impairs your ability to get into uh, the deep sleep, you know, stage three, four of non-REM sleep, and also impairs your ability to, to dream or to get into REM sleep. And so um, it, you, you don't have very uh, restorative, refreshing sleep because of alcohol. And also most, not most, but a fair number of people tend to wake up um, shortly after, you know, two, three hours after going to bed, once the alcohol wears off. Um, so you really should avoid alcohol before bedtime hours. Bedtime routine is another category that's really huge for sleep hygiene, right? Have you established a, a relaxing pre-sleep routine uh, that helps you uh, fall, helps, helps you get ready to go to sleep? Um, I know for my wife, this is taking a hot bath every evening before bedtime really helps her to get ready to sleep. For myself, uh, kind of going through the day, maybe doing a little bit of journaling and, and a little bit of preparation for the next day as far as writing down what I need to get done can help to clear my plate so I'm ready to go to sleep at night. Um, also setting aside some time to just do some natural relaxation techniques, such as deep breathing or progressive muscle relaxation, uh, some yoga, not necessarily yoga, but more meditation. Um, or if, if you have a, a very relaxing yoga routine, that's fine, but you just want to uh, do things to help get your body to kind of calm down from the stress of the day, the sympathetic drive and activate more of that parasympathetic nervous system, which helps us to, to get ready to sleep. Uh, bedroom environment is huge uh, for getting sleep, right? Is your is your bedroom uh, a warm, excuse me, a cool temperature? You know, ideal temperature for sleeping is around 61 to 65 degrees. We talked earlier about how your core body temperature needs to drop about two to three degrees Fahrenheit in order for you to fall asleep. You know, you know is, your, is your bedroom free of loud noises or bright lights? Um, is your bed comfortable? Um, the, the environment really matters. You know, napping is a big one for a lot of people too. Uh, we really should avoid most daytime naps uh, unless um, it's earlier in, the, earlier in the day before noon, or if you're just taking very short duration naps, you know, the quote unquote power naps uh, can still be helpful and allow you to fall asleep at nighttime. Uh, exercise can be another big one. Um, getting regular exercise uh, helps promote sleep and overall well-being. Um, Vigorous activity, exercise close to bedtime makes it difficult to fall asleep. It heats up your core body temperature. It puts you into more of that fight or flight, you know, that that um, sympathetic nervous system drive that makes it tougher to sleep. Um, and then lastly, you know, worry and anxiety is another big category, right? So you want to avoid things that trigger anxiety at bedtime. Uh, you know, for some people that might be watching the news, checking your stock portfolio, 
or, or, or having an argument with your, with your significant other. Um, watching disturbing television programs can make it hard to fall asleep. Um, you want to just be careful as far as what you're doing before bedtime, that if it's something that's promoting or provoking more anxiety or worry in your life, you should avoid those types of things right before bed. Um, so, so these are just some of the different foundational uh, lifestyle points uh, that really, really make a difference and they add up, um, especially as we get older and, and sleep becomes more difficult. Another big thing we'll talk about sometimes is, is consider seeing a sleep therapist, right? So cognitive behavioral therapy is actually a very safe and effective means of treating insomnia. It helps people to kind of correct maladaptive attitudes or beliefs regarding sleep. Um, and they'll teach you different relaxation techniques, such as deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, uh, or other techniques such as stimulus control and sleep restriction that can help you find you know, higher quality sleep. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to provide significantly greater benefit compared to just using medications alone um, in terms of normalizing sleep for people, right? W which can look, you know, normalizing sleep looks like improved sleep onset latency. So you're able to fall asleep quicker and your sleep efficiency is, is overall better. And when they've done studies on this, they found that at follow-up terms, uh, excuse me, follow-up times, like long-term, like six, 12 months later, people still had better habits and were sleeping better when they were seeing a, a cognitive behavioral therapist to help treat their sleep. You know, some other things that can really help with, with sleep are going to be like meditation, uh, yoga nidra, uh, as well as uh, hypnosis scripts. Um, some of these you can find online for free and, and, and just listen to while you're trying to fall asleep and can really help you to go to sleep. We also, uh, in our clinic, we'll use alternative devices, um, a couple of them are, are uh, called BrainTap, and then we have another one called a Dolphin Vagal Nerve Stimulator. And we use these very routinely, again, to help mostly to kind of quiet that sympathetic, that fight or flight state that we're so used to being in during the day and help kind of put us into that calming, relaxing, parasympathetic state. Uh, and these are two devices that work really great. These are things that you can come and, and, and try using in our clinic and see how they help you. And, and then you can make the decision if you'd like to, to purchase them on your own. A big part of what we do in functional medicine is also looking at supplements. Um, supplements can be very helpful to sleep, right? So uh, in particular, you know, magnesium threonate has been shown to cross over or to get into the, the brain a little bit better than other forms of magnesium and help promote sleep. It helps you to kind of quiet your mind um, and increases the uh, production of GABA, which is, is one of those primary neurotransmitters we talked about at the beginning that really helps to turn off the wakefulness centers and help promote sleep. Uh, L-theanine is another great um, supplement that can help promote sleep. And this is just taken 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime. And again, helps you kind of turn off your brain and helps you start to, to fall asleep. Apigenin is another great supplement that we that we commonly use. We also have some different proprietary or herbal blends that, that have multiple different supplements together. A common one we use is called Rest Easy, and this can this um, will contain valerian root, uh, passion flower, lemon balm, chamomile, um, L-theanine, 5-HTP, and melatonin, all different herbal supplements that really help promote sleep. Another great one that we have is called Sleep Well, and this has more of taurine, 5-HTP, actual GABA, gamma amino butyric acid, uh, and phosphatidylserine 
again, other supplements that help promote sleep and, and maintenance of sleep, right? And then another one that we commonly will use is called herbal calming blend. And this is maybe more for someone who experiences anxiety towards bedtime and again, has a harder time getting into that, uh, you, know, you know, I guess coming down from the day, um, unwinding uh, and, and falling asleep. And so in, in this blend, you'll have lavender, valerian root extract, passion flower uh, extract, chamomile flower, uh, catnip leaves, peppermint leaves, uh, skullcap herb, and, and a few other supplements that all help you to turn off your mind and, and to, to go to sleep at night. Um, the nice thing also about uh, practicing in functional medicine is that we're not just limited to supplements either. We also use a lot of pharmaceutical agents and, and hormones. We talked earlier about hormones. Uh, again, a, a big one for hormones is going to be um, progesterone, uh, especially for women who are going through uh, that time of life where, where hormones are not optimal and they're um, maybe struggling with some um, symptoms of menopause, such as the hot flashes, the night sweats, and, and, and just not being able to get comfortable. Hormones can be very helpful for sleep. We also see in, in men and women both whose testosterone is low, uh, trouble sleeping. And as you start to replace those to a more adequate, healthy level, sleep improves. As I said as well, pharmaceutical agents can be great tools to help us get to sleep. You know, our preference is always that we're, we're fixing the root cause. You know, most pharmaceutical agents aren't necessarily addressing the root cause. They're more looking at treating the actual downstream symptoms, the insomnia, and they help put you to sleep, but they don't really identify or treat the root cause of why you can't sleep. And, and that's what the, the whole point of the evaluation is in functional medicine is what's the root cause of the trouble sleeping? Let's treat that and fix that. But in the meantime, we are certainly able and very commonly will use different pharmaceutical agents to help treat the downstream symptoms as well. And so we get a full rounded approach, um, but not, not making us dependent on these, these pharmaceuticals for life, right? The goal is to get to a point where we can actually correct the lifestyle. We can fix the underlying root cause of the problem and then um, not, not be dependent upon supplements or prescription medications to help you sleep better. But when it comes to prescription medications, we'll just talk about these briefly. There's, there's a number of different classes that can be very helpful uh, for treating insomnia. So there's non-benzodiazepine sedative hypnotics, and these are things like Sonata, Ambien, Lunesta. Some of these are approved for short-term use, and some of these are approved for long-term use of insomnia. There's melatonin and melatonin receptor agonists. So um, just straight up melatonin uh, works great, especially with circadian uh, sleep-wake disorders. Uh, but something called rosarum or, or rameltion is, a, is a, known as a melatonin receptor agonist can also be used and, and is helpful there. There are benzodiazepines, and these are things like temazepam and triazolam. These have actually been approved for sleep. Um, and there's other benzodiazepines that people very commonly use uh, to help sleep as well. And that's more like Xanax and Ativan. My concern is that a lot of these medications are, are kind of used as a daily uh, use or daily need to help fall asleep. And there are some studies that suggest concern with chronic long-term use of these medications uh, on, on your cognitive function. A very common class of medications we use are, are sedating antidepressants. Um, and, and the big one that we most commonly use, this is usually one of the first-line agents to help with chronic insomnia, and that's trazodone. Um, a, a dose of 50 to 200, 400 milligrams at night can, can be helpful to, to get you sleeping. 
Another common antidepressant used to help with sleep is mirtazapine or Remeron uh, is the other name for that. When I have people that have like chronic headaches or pain that might be impairing sleep, amitriptyline can be a great option to help with sleep at nighttime. Perhaps one of the most common uh, categories of, of sleep aids are antihistamines. And these are things like Benadryl or diphenhydramine, promethazine, which is phenergan, and then hydroxazine. Um, you know, most of the over-the-counter sleep aids, uh, not all of them, but many of them tend to contain one of these antihistamines, these early antihistamines that, that also cross the blood-brain barrier and, and um, turn off histamine, which as you remember from previous lecture, that histamine makes us awake and alert. And, and when you shut that down, it, it starts to promote sleep. There are some people too that benefit from anti-epileptic drugs like gabapentin or Lyrica. Uh, these are typically people, and these are more off-label uses, but these are people who typically have some kind of neuropathy, uh, which typically tends to impair your sleep at nighttime. And so one of these um, medications, gabapentin, Lyrica, can both be very helpful uh, to control that symptom and allow you to sleep at nighttime. Obviously, we want to treat, again, the, the root cause. So if you have restless leg syndrome, the, the treatments are going to be different. We want to look at, number one, what's triggering the restless leg syndrome and, and treat that if we can. But in particular for restless leg syndrome, um, dopaminergic agents like L-DOPA, Mirapex, Repremapexol, Repinerol, uh, which is also known as Requip, um, and then other sedative, uh, sedative medications like Ambien or Clonazepam can be helpful. Sometimes it's the pain that, that makes it hard to sleep. And so some, some of those people will take opiates to help control their, uh, their, their pain in their legs and allow them to sleep better at nighttime. You know, also in, in regards to treatment of sleep, you know, if you have a sleep-related breathing disorder, especially like obstructive sleep apnea, then you're going to likely need some sort of positive airway pressure device. Now, I will say that if you have milder uh, sleep apnea, then, then there are oral appliances that can help re, uh, reposition your mouth or tongue, your airway in a, in a manner that helps keep your airway open through the night. But if it's more moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea, you're likely going to need a CPAP machine, maybe a BiPAP or an auto, uh, auto PAP or auto titrating PAP. If you have narcolepsy, you know, primary treatment there is going to be more focused on um, stimulants uh, such as uh, amphetamines, dextroamphetamine, methylphenidate. Um, there's a couple other ones, uh, Provigil or Modafinil. Our Modafinil are very commonly used. If you have the cataplexy that we talked about, um, uh, pro, protriptyline, uh, imipramine, fluoxetine, sertraline, venlafaxine, xyrum, these can all be used to help treat that cataplexy associated with narcolepsy. Um, but these are all these are all prescription medications, right? And they work very well to help treat and control um, troubles uh, with sleep. And so, again, our, our approach here in at Forum Health and especially with, with in functional medicine is that number one is what's the root cause of, of your trouble sleeping? And we really want to address that first and foremost. Um, do we use prescription sleep medications? Yes, in my practice, I very commonly use them uh, while, we're, while we're trying to identify the root cause and fix, fix that as well so that ultimately we can start to come off of these sleep medications and, and be able to sleep again. Anyway, that's that's kind of the, the discussion for today. There's a lot of good things that we can use between supplements, alternative devices, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, lifestyle medicine. There's a lot of things we could do to really improve our sleep. So if you're someone who's struggling to sleep, you're not you're not getting 
the right amount of sleep or the you are maybe getting the right amount but the quality excuse me the quality of that sleep is poor um, i really strongly encourage you to to make a, an appointment to come in and visit with us and let's see how we can help you get sleeping better you know we talked before health consequences of of poor sleep are pretty dramatic um, and, and unfortunately for most of us, when life gets kind of crazy, gets busy, sleep tends to be one of the first things that we start to sacrifice. Uh, and there are, there are consequences for that. Uh, are they always immediately noticeable? No, they're not. Um, but, but in time, again, 99.99% of people should really be getting seven to nine hours of sleep. I should say adults should be getting seven to nine hours of sleep every single night as much as possible. Anyway, I hope you found this uh, podcast helpful. Uh, hopefully you've learned a few things about sleep and how you can improve your sleep and why sleep is important. If you have questions or concerns about your sleep and you need some help or just need somebody to, to kind of walk you through the process, encourage you to make an appointment and, and come see us and let us know how we can help you. Thank you very much for attending. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.